Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Whining About Herstory. This is the history podcast where two longtime gal pals drink wine and whine about where all the women in history are. And unfortunately, this will be our last episode because after 26 episodes, we will have run out of women from history. I know that's been a big concern among uh, some people on Twitter if we're going to run out of women to cover. And yes. I'm kidding. We're totally kidding. That is the dumbest fucking question I've there ever heard. So many, like I have a list, and I'm pretty sure that's it's longer than 26 people. If I covered one listicle that I found online, that'd be 10 episodes right there. Right. And I actually, I have one that I have saved somewhere that's like 50 women. So buckle in. We're at least ha- we're at least at most halfway. <laughs> strap in, strap on. We got a lot of ladies to cover. But anyway. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Thank you so much for listening today. We're so happy to have you. I know that started off pretty aggressive, but I'm feeling kind of punchy today after fighting the man down at the permit office. (laughs) And by fighting the man, I mean him telling me that I didn't have enough stuff and me almost crying. Yeah. So. The the usual. um, Now, before we get started, I do have a say their name and it's kind of personal um it's not how we usually do this but i want to give a big shout out to one of my near and dear friends tierney she has had one hell of an august uh i was able to catch up with her recently we went on a walk and it was basically an hour of her telling me something terrible that happened but also how she killed it um and i did get permission to share the story um, but her uncle had a heart attack oh, no. and, um, they, he survived, but they had to do surgery. It was really intensive and her parents flew to the state where he was in. And while they were on the plane, it came to tyranny that, oh, he's on life support. Oh, he's gone. And so tyranny had the job of one telling everyone in her family that, their uncle was on life support right. and then making those calls again saying he's gone. And then waiting for her parents to land and, and then making her, that phone call. Her parents touched down and she had to tell her mom and her dad. It was her dad's brother. And her dad was like, I'm so glad it was you that told me. And so Tierney is our age and by all accounts an adult. But I know I would not be emotionally prepared to give that kind of news. Nope, I couldn't. So, so she did my parents. Right. About one of their siblings. Right. It's an instant uh, switch in the power dynamic. Oh, yeah. You know? And so without missing a beat, she wrangles all of her siblings up. She's one of four. She rents a car and plans a trip and they drive to the state where he's in. And this is like a 13-hour drive. Yeah. And because of scheduling issues with one of her siblings' jobs, like she couldn't get an extra day off because apparently having a close relative die is not enough for the manager to suck it up and come in for one day. Wow. Fuck you. Yeah. But so they drove like 13 hours, were there for a day, and had to turn around and drive back. And Tierney broke the news to everyone. She planned the trip. She got the car. She dealt with her own work, who was not super kind about it. And she made it. And I'm listening to her say this. And we always joke how she's the mom of our friend group. She totally is. And she stepped up and she mommed up. She mammed up. So this is a shout out to her. 
Tierney. I'm so proud of you. You shouldn't have had to do that, but you did. And you you're you make me want to be a stronger person. So yeah. say their name. Tierney. Woo-hoo. I love that girl. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. Okay. So uh, I picked out our wine, but we had a little bit of a, a wine mix up. I, I forgot my wine is what happened. So <laughs> <laughs> Let's be truthful. We're actually we're recording at my place today. We just got done with a walk in the woods. Very romantic. Oh. And now we're going to wind down Ooh. with some sweet wine. So Kelly's going to read the bottle so that we can... I am. Stop listening to me for five minutes. <laughs> they have to listen to me for like half an hour. Though. I love it. Um, so this wine is called Gato Negro. So black cat. There's a little cute black cat on the front. Um, and this is fruity white wine. It's a wine of Chile and it's 2015. And this is how the person who ships this wine describes it. Because it was my favorite description I found. Pleasant flower aroma with strong notes of lime and orange peel. Tastes like vacation. I love that. And it's you know like, what? Ooh. That sounds ridiculous. Tastes like vacation. We all know what vacation tastes like, though. Like, yeah. So th- this is their other description. Bright gr- golden yellow, subtle floral aromas with present of citrus notes and touches of lime and orange peel. Smooth and fruity on the palate with a finish that brings honey to mind. Ooh. We haven't actually tried this one yet. Usually we drink before, but we haven't yet this time. So we're kind see. of we're kind of in a time crunch today. It's a it's a Wednesday. Hump Wednesday. day. I don't think we've ever recorded on a Wednesday before. No, we've done Tuesdays. Well, here here's to the middle of the week. Hump day. Ooh. That's a good clink. Yeah. That definitely tastes like vacation. It does. I and it do- I taste definitely it. Can, the like the sweet smoothness at the end. Yeah. I don't know if honey is what I'd use to describe it, but it's good. It's, you know, when I smelled it, it had kind of that harsh acidity that a lot of whites have. Oh, yeah, it does. I don't taste no, it's it. it's not acidic at all. I could chug this bottle in about five seconds. No problem. It's a wet wine. We are also drinking out of some fancy oh, glasses. Yes, fancy. Uh, my boyfriend's ma'am gifted me some long stem wine glasses because how dare I have a wine podcast and not actually own a wine glass. You don't Shame. own a wine glass? I own Besides these. I own the one wine glass where my friend put the cricket stuff yeah. that says whining about herstory. And I have some goblets. Oh, I gotta take another swig. I love this. Yeah, it's really good. I already had two. Mm. But I'm also our leading lady today. Ooh, I like that. I don't know. Thank you. You're my leading lady. Aw. You're mine too. Aw. Except now. I'm well, the yeah. uh, I'm the butt of the horse costume today. <laughs> <laughs> the tail. The tail. Yes. But it's okay because I know how to work it. <clears throat> <laughs> Twerking horse. Twerking horse. You're just like completely normal and your butt's like, like woo, everywhere. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So today I'm covering a woman named Sophie Blanchard. Okay. Sophie Blanchard was born Marie Madeline Sophie Armand. Yeah. Wow. She made you say her name. I really like that name, actually. Um, at, at, tro- it's French. Um, at Trois Canyons near La Rochelle. Oh, okay. No, French. 
Squaw Canyons. It so, kind of sounds southern. I know, right? Like, I could see that being out west. Oh, welcome to Twa Canyons. We have one gas station and eight liquor stores. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. So, little is known about her life before her marriage to Jean-Pierre Blanchard. So that's kind of sad. Like, literally, I couldn't find, like, anything. Oh, now that she's attached to a dude, we care. Right. Um, Jean-Pierre Blanchard um, is the world's first professional balloonist. So that's kind of cool. Ooh. Um, the date of their marriage is also unclear. <laughs> so apparently it didn't matter that they got married. Um, there aren't good records in Twa Canyon. Twa Canyon. <laughs> um, <laughs> they got married outside the Andes. Right. Um, some people quote dates between 19, 1794 and 1797. Most have kind of settled on 1804 as um, their marriage date, which is also the year of her first ascent in a balloon. That's like a 10-year gap. Yep. When's your anniversary? Oh, who can remember these things? Right. <laughs> We've either been married for one year or 10. <laughs> Sophie was described as Blanchard's small, ugly, nervous wife. Small with sharp bird-like features. However, it later changed to small and beautiful. What, as her value as a person grew? Yeah, basically. She sounds like a brunette she, Angela from The Office. She Tiny does and look harsh. a little, like, bird-like, but I wouldn't call her, like, ugly. Yeah. And you know what? Birds are beautiful, and they're deadly. Right. Have you seen a vulture? That thing will kill you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, sorry, I'm, that's de- just, that's I'm just completely funny. derailing you with my yep. incorrect bird facts. All I'm thinking about is like hawks picking up small dogs now. I, but that's I, a thing that actually happens. I Do you remember when I first got my Chihuahua Charlie yes. and I wouldn't leave him out in the backyard alone because I had read that big birds will pick up Chihuahuas and fly them away? that we didn't have birds big enough in the area. And then I told you there's an eagle's nest like yeah. two clicks that way. It's fine. <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. He's, He's still, still here. alive. Yeah. So Sophie was very nervous on the ground. She had a very nervous disposition. She was easily started startled. She was terrified. She was terrified of loud noises and of riding in carriages. But was I mean, fearless in the air. She felt at home in the sky more than on the ground. I related to that until. But she was fine if she was like a hundred feet fine. in the air. That's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Sophie made her first ascent in a balloon with her husband in Marseille on the 27th of December, 1804. Kelly needs to pass me the wine because I am going to demolish this. <laughs> We're at her house. She can this time. I can do whatever I want. It's Wednesday. Right. Wine Wednesday, you wine queens. Um. So even though her husband was like one of the first ballooners, um, the couple faced bankruptcy because he was really, really bad at business. Like, he was really, real bad. <laughs> I thought you meant bad at ballooning. I no. was like, oh, the first ballooner sucked at it. Um, however, um, together they, they believed a female balloonist was a novelty that might attract enough attention to solve their financial problems. Um, and she described the feeling of going up in that balloon as an incomparable sensation. Have you ever been in a balloon, like a hot air balloon? No, I haven't either. I don't either. think I would do well. It, it's gas and fire being injected into, like this canvas. I love when like, you're in a wicker balloons. basket. 
I love watching balloons. Like Hudson, Wisconsin has like a balloon festival each year, but they do it in like fucking February and it's always fucking freezing. Why? But it's really cool to go to because like you get to see the balloons like on the ground as they're like inflating them for the first time and then like as they go off and it's really neat. Is part of the novelty that everyone just freezes to death? Probably. Wisconsin in February. Wisconsin. I have hot chocolate. Let's bring your own whiskey. Oh. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> I'll blow a fireball into the middle of the <laughs> balloon. <laughs> You'll be the one, yeah. That's allowed, right? <laughs> um, so Sophie uh, made her second ascent also with her husband. And her third ascent on um, August 18th, 1805, she flew solo from the Garden of the Cloister of the Jacobeans in Toulouse. I'm sure French people know where that is. Toulouse is the cat from Aristocats, right? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> um, Sophie was not the first woman balloonist. Um, in 1784, the Marchioness and Countess of Mont-Lembert and the Countess of Podenas and Miss de Lagarde had taken a trip on a tethered balloon in Paris. However, she was also not the first woman to descend in an untethered balloon in blanchard's time citonie henry uh, made an ascent with andre jacques journey in 1798 and at first she was widely credited with being the first ballooning lady um but that honor actually belongs to elizabeth thibble an opera singer um made the ascent to entertain gustav the third of sweden in lyon in june of 1784 14 years before um, Ketonier Henry, the person that was credited with it. Sophie, however, was the first woman to pilot her own balloon and the first woman to adapt ballooning as a full-time career. I was going to say, not to discredit anyone else, but it sounds like everyone else was just like... It's like one ride. It's just a wham-bam, thank you, ma'am situation, but she's like, no, this is my life. <laughs> right. Um, in 1807, she and her husband were in a, f- a joint flight accident. Um, it was her 11th ascent and his around 61st is what they're guessing. Jesus. Um, they crashed and he sustained a head injury and the shock apparently left her mute for a while. What the fuck? Two years later, her husband died from the injury sustained, um, in that crash. Um, well, yeah. However, after his death. The ground can't can't hurt you if you can't see it. You'll see. (laughs) So this this next title is Solo Career. Mm. Um, Sophie conducted experiments with parachutes as her husband had before her and was popular at the time. She parachuted dogs from her balloon as part of her entertainments. And she also... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they had parachutes. I'm sure they were fine. But then the eagles can come in and swoop them away. Um, She also launched fireworks and dropped baskets of pyrotechnics attached to small parachutes from her balloon. Now that's fucking awesome. Right. Because you're just bombing people at that point from your balloon. When her husband died, the couple was still in debt. Um, So to minimize her expenses, Sophie was as frugal as possible in her choice of balloon. She used a hydrogen-filled gas balloon as it was al- as, as it allowed her to ascend in a basket little bigger than a chair. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'll show you a picture. <laughs> what? Yeah. And there was no requirement for the volume of material necessary for a hot air balloon. So basically, she bought something that was light. Yeah. She bought a wicker chair at the flea market. Hooked that up. (laughs) A hydrogen balloon also freed her from having to tend to fire to keep the aircraft airborne. Having a smaller, easily inflatable balloon was also important in an era where balloon riots were common. Balloon riots? Yep. This was when disappointed crowds were known to destroy balloons and attack aeronauts when balloons failed to go up as planned. Can I just say... It was a big thing. Can I just say... People like to throw around, oh, man, you know, everything's just gone to shit. We were so much more civil back in the day. We were not. Yeah. We've always been this horrible. We're we're actually better, believe it or not. We just think we should know better at this point. And we should. Right. But we've always kind of (laughs) sucked. Right. She became a favorite of Napoleon, and he appointed her to replace Andre Jacques Gar- Garnier, which I, I I talked about him briefly before he was he brought one of the women up. Okay, in eighteen oh four. So here's my here's my thing. So it says that he was appointed, she was appointed to replace him in eighteen oh four, but then her first flight wasn't until like the end of eighteen oh four. So I'm really confused as to that timeline, and I double checked like all of my sources, and they all said that. So I'm like. Well, let's like, remember. I feel, I feel like you're wrong. There's like a 10-year window when her and yeah, her husband true. got married. So she was actually probably born in the 1600s right. and Just... then married in 2012. <laughs> I'm making this up, but I may not be that much further off than this is. <laughs> um, so Garnerine had disgraced himself by failing to control the balloon that he had sent up to mark Napoleon's coronation in Paris. Sorry. The balloon eventually drifted as far as Rome, where it crashed into Lego de Barraciano and became the subject of many jokes at Napoleon's expense. Man, don't you hate it when someone's balloon crashes into your Legos and they all come down? Um, Was it stuff like that? Sure. <laughs> Is that too soon? <laughs> too smart for the room? Too much. Too much. Um, so yeah, so Napoleon picked her over him because he embarrassed him. Um, the titles... The, Exact title is unclear, but he made, definitely made her the aeronaut of official festivals Ooh. Um, with responsibility of organizing ballooning displays at major events. However, um, a lot of sources say that he also made her um, his chief air minister of ballooning, in which role she is reported to have drawn up plans for an aerial invasion of England. She was able to dissuade Napoleon from this impractical plan by pointing out that prevailing winds over the channel made such an invasion nearly impossible. Jeez. I like to think her title was actually like goddess of the wicker baskets of death. Right. (laughs) In 1805, following Blanchard's solo flight from Toulouse, which we briefly talked about, Aristocats. Um, yep, yep, I remember. The journal De La Hot Garonne reported that the villagers of Lux believed that the aeronaut was a demon and threatened her with a variety of weapons, See? including sticks and rifles. So she's not the goddess of wicker baskets of death. She's the uh, demon of wicker one, baskets that, of death. That one group. But I suppose if you're a small village and you've never seen one before, what else are you supposed to think? I... I mean, here's the thing. If you didn't do something as a woman back in the day that made people think you were a witch or a demon, you probably didn't actually live. Right. 
She made many ascents for Napoleon's entertainment, including on June 24th, 1810, for the the Champ de Mars in Paris and at the celebration mounted by the Imperial Guard for his marriage to Marie Louise of Austria. And the birth of Napoleon's son, Blanchard took a balloon flight over Paris from the, the Champs de Mars and threw out leaflets proclaiming his birth. Ooh, it's like extravagant littering. Yeah, right. I like that. Yeah, you know, it's fancy. It's fancy, fancy littering. littering. In September, littering with littering a with a purpose <laughs> and flourish. In September 1810, at the hour of her highly anticipated performance in Frankfurt, she realized that her ship was leaking hydrogen and would soon be unable to ascend. No. Without hesitation, she detached the ship's basket, stood on the narrow ring that secured the balloon's netting, and took off into the air. Balanced precariously on this hoop, she twice crossed the, the mine river above the heads of her thrilled s- spectators. Stop. She continued this way for two hours, covering about 40 kilometers until freezing temperatures forced her to land. Stop. No. Yeah. I hate that all of those terrifying. sentences. Like, so she's not even in a basket or nope, a little she's just chair. Standing on she's something. like, just. She's standing like on the ring that would. Attach like that attached to the nets to the balloon. Yeah, Jesus Christ! Right. And the only reason she came down was because it got too it, cold. It got, it got too cold. Ew. I mean, good for her, but no, thank no. you. No. Um. So she performed at the official baptism of Napoleon's son. You know, Ooh. and uh, launched a firework display from her balloon. I was gonna say, did she like drop water balloons of holy water to christen him <laughs> from the sky? Because um, that's poetic <laughs> the goddess of the wicker baskets of death is christening your son from the sky right? like <laughs> at the the fete de la empereur so i think it's like the party emperor of the emperor yeah, yeah. Something like that um in milan on august 1811 she made the ascent in bad weather over the campo marte um not that this is separate because it says in naples so Oh, she made an ascent in bad weather over the Campo Marte in Naples to accompany the review of the troops by Napoleon's brother-in-law, Joachim Murat, the King of Naples. The King of Nipples. Yep. What uh, an auspicious title. Right. <laughs> um, during a flight from Milan, Blanchard again faced difficulties with her liftoff. Facing a discourteous official in an impatient crowd, she quickly cut the cords and ascended into the night air. A strong gust of wind pushed her balloon from Milan over the Apennines and nearly to the coast of Genoa in just an hour. Can do you ever get into how ballooning works? Because no, they have balloon races, yep. and I'm like, the wind is pushing you around. Yep. How do you control anything except um, maybe your ascent and descent? In a hydrogen balloon, I don't really think you can unless you have a propeller. But in the um, helium filled, not helium, whatever the normal balloons are that they use now that you have to actually have a fire. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It has to do with, like, releasing gas and, like, how you'd control the fire and you can, like, turn the fire specific ways to make your balloon go a different way. So magic. Yeah. Okay. I do not get into it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just say magic. That's right? my explanation for everything I don't understand. Yeah. So she got pushed way off course in just an hour. She landed in a forest outside of a small village of Mo- Mont Bruno. And they where burned she spent her as the a night. witch. In the morning, a crowd of locals approached her reverently believing she was an apparition of the blessed virgin she is the goddess of the wicker basket of death (laughs) (laughs) when uh 
Louis the oh god thirteenth, um seventh seventeenth. Oh, when Louis the seventeenth entered Paris on May eighteen fourteen after being restored to the French throne. Is so, this after Louis the sixteenth? No, got I think I think up? no, I think this is who took over after Napoleon. I don't know French history. Yeah, Ignore me. I should know this because Alain de Gouge was says, around Louis it the Sixteenth. After being restored to the French throne, so I'm like, I'm assuming someone like took it from him, and I'm just assuming it was Napoleon. Well, because I remember after the French Revolution, they did go back to a monarchy yeah, at some so that, point. Yeah, maybe this might be it. Hey, Louis the Sixteenth was bullshit, but seventeen—that's a much sexier number. Right. Um. So, so when he came back and was restored to the French throne, Sophie ascended in her balloon from the the Pont Neuf. As a triumph, as part of the triumphal procession, L- Louis was so taken with her performance that he dubbed her official aeronaut of the restoration. She's getting all the titles. I was gonna say she's racking them up. Her resume is exquisite, right? Um, she became known throughout Europe, and she drew loud, large crowds for her ascents. I'm sure they were loud. I was too. gonna say, I bet they were loud as fuck. Um, in Frankfurt, she apparently was the cause of poor reception of Carl Maria von Weber's opera Sylvania as its opening night, 16th of September, 1810. The people of the city flocked to see her demonstration while only a few attended the opera's debut. That's like people going to a concert for the opener and then leaving when right? the main act That's is great. coming on. No, no, no. Um, You're, this isn't about you. Right. This so- isn't your tour. She also gave many displays in Italy. Um, in 1811, she traveled from Rome to Naples, splitting the journey in half after 60 miles, and later ascended again from Rome to a height of 12,000 feet, where she claimed that she fell into a profound sleep for a while before landing in Tagliacazzo. So she passed. So out she passed out in this balloon, yep, and it and just kind of landed. floated. Yep. In the same year, she again lost consciousness after having to ascend to avoid being trapped in a hailstorm near near Vincennes. She spent 14 and a half hours in the air as a result. Jesus. That would be terrible. That's not something I had really considered, the weather aspect, because the weather kind of changes the higher and lower you get, right? Yeah. That's horrifying. Yeah. Um. Sophie also crossed the Alps by balloon, and on her trip to Turin in, in on 26th of April, 1812, the temperature dropped so low that she suffered a nosebleed and icicles formed on her hands and face. So she got frostbite. Probably. Holy shit! She almost died on September 21st, 1817, when on a flight from Nantes, her, 20, her 53rd flight, she mistook a marshy field for a safe landing spot. Oh, my God. The canopy of her balloon became caught in a tree, which caused the chair to tip over. Sophie, entangled in the rigging, was forced into the water of the marsh and would have drowned had, not, had help not arrived soon enough. I'm sorry. She's doing this all still in a chair yeah. that she got from the flea market? probably her story head cannon she picked this thing up at the flea market and she haggled for it oh yeah for sure hardcore hard (laughs) okay but you think with all these accolades and all this like royal recognition she'd be able to afford a nice basket probably could have but whatever i'm sure it's expensive though to like do ballooning 
I get it. Like, I recognize her uh, frugalness as someone who hates spending money (laughs) and uses rusty, gross razors to shave her pits because I refuse to spend more money for razors. I I should join the Dollar Shave Club or something, but I don't want to spend money. Um, Sympathizing with Marie Therese de la Moras, who was attempting to run a shelter for fallen women in Bordeaux, she offered to donate the proceeds from one of her ascents to the venture. De la Morris refused the offer on the grounds that she could not be the cause of another person risking their life. Oh, I thought she was going to have some weird moral qualms. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're running a women's shelter. Do not judge people. No, she's just like, you know, you've had all these accidents. I'm not going to have it on my conscience if something happens. When, what flight did her husband die from? His it was the 61st? 63rd. 63rd. She has to make it to 64 at least. She has to beat him. <laughs> um, despite these setbacks, Sophie overcame her personal feels, fears of confrontation, carriage travel, and drowning to become one of the most successful balloonists of her time. I mean, she did almost drown. That's a valid fear. Her downfall came because she wanted to please her fans. Oh, no. This is death. It should also be the sad part. No. As a people pleaser, am I going to be attacked by this? Okay, good. I mean, unless you're going to go into ballooning. Nope. Nope. I like to be on the ground. uh, I'm more familiar with it. I don't need to understand 4D travel. Blanchard had performed regularly at the Tivoli Gardens, making ascents twice a week when she was in Paris. She had been warned repeatedly of the dangers of using fireworks in her exhibitions. This display was to be particularly impressive. One with many more pyrotechnics than usual, and it appears that the warnings had made an impression on her. Some spectators implored her not to make the ascent, but others eager to see the show urged her on. One report suggested that she finally made up her mind and stepped into her chair with the words, Alance sera pour la dernière fois, which means, let's go, this will be for the last time. Oh, I hate prophetic last words. Right. I hate them so much. At 10.30, accounts differ as to the exact time. Sophie began her ascent carrying a white flag and wearing a white dress and a white top hat with ostrich plumes. Oh, that's so snazzy. I know, right? The wind was blowing strongly and it appears the balloon struggled to rise. By shedding ballast, which is like weight. Like, yep, like the know. sandbags. Yep, sandbags. Attached to her wicker chair. Right. So she shedded some of the ballast and managed to get some lift with the the balloon brushed up against a tree as it ascended. Once she had cleared the treetops, Blanchard began the display by waving her flag. The balloon was illuminated by baskets containing Bengal fire, which is a slow-burning colored pyrotechnic, so she'd put, like, little pots of them and hang them from her balloon so that it would, like, light up the balloon. Okay. This already sounds horrifying. A few moments after beginning the display and while still ascending, the balloon was seen to be in flames. <gasps> this is a hydrogen balloon. No. Um, some reports say that the balloon momentarily disappeared behind a cloud and then when it reappeared, it was on fire. Whatever the circumstances, the gas in the balloon was burning. Blanchard began to descend rapidly, but the balloon caught in the wind continued to move off from the pleasure garden even as it went down. Some spectators thought these events were part of the show and applauded and shouted their approval. Oh, no. The balloon had not risen very high, and although the escape gas, escaping gas was burning, the gas within the balloon ma- maintained sufficient lift for a while to prevent the craft plummeting directly to the ground. 
By rapidly shedding ballast, Blanchard or Sophie was able to slow the descent. Most reports say she appeared to be calm during the ascent, but she she was said to be wringing her hands in despair as the craft approached the ground. That's such an old-timey thing to say. You would never describe someone as wringing their hands in despair now. Because right. I see like, oh, oh, uh, and that like nowadays we'd be like, she was freaking the fuck out. Right. <laughs> Just above the rooftops of the Rue de Provence, the balloon's gas was exhausted and the craft struck the roof, the roof of a house. It was thought likely that she could have survived had, had that been the end of the incident. But the ropes holding the chair to the body of the balloon may have burnt through or the impact may have thrown her forward. No one's quite sure. (gasps) The result was that Sophie, trapped in the netting of the balloon, pitched over the side of the roof and onto the street below. So she fell off the roof. John Poole, an eyewitness, described her final moments. There was a terrible... There was a terrible pause, then Madame Blanchard caught up in the netting of her balloon, fell with a crash upon the slanting roof of a house in the Rue de Provence, and then into the street where she was taken up a shattered corpse. Oh, a shattered corpse? That is chilling and graphic. I don't like it. Right. Some okay, report- we're going to rewind. So she's an awesome balloonist. The end! Done. <laughs> um, some reports credit her with crying out, a moi, which means help, or literally to me, as she struck the roof. Although the crowds rushed to her assistance and attempts were made to save her, um, she is thought to have died instantly from either a broken neck or up to 10 minutes later if she, like, bled out. Well, taking a tumble off of a roof will do that yeah. to you. Oh, my God. The most likely cause of the accident seems to be that the fireworks attached to her balloon had been knocked out of position by the tree when she ascended. Um, and possibly the balloon was heavily loaded and failed to rise quickly enough. When she when she had lit the fuses, the fireworks headed towards the balloon instead of away from it, and one of them burned a hole in the fabric, igniting the gas. You know, the lesson I'm taking from this is um, cut down all the trees. Right. Those things are nothing but trouble. We need to get rid of them. Trees are bad. They're bad for you. Cut them down. <laughs> One man reportedly had spotted the problem and had tried to shout to her not to light the fuses, but his cries were drowned out by the cheering of the crowd. Um, some some reports after the fact had suggested that maybe she left the gas valve open, um, allowing sparks to ignite the gas, or that maybe her balloon was of poor construction and allowed gas to leak. Obviously, no one's really quite sure. It sounds like a lot of things did go wrong. Um, and on the blog, there will be some really horrific... Uh, <laughs> Maybe not that horrific. Kind of sad. Uh, like drawings and stuff of her death. Because like, apparently that's what like she was super known for. It was really sad. So um, she was this bitchin' balloonist. And then she became famous because she died in this in horrific this horrid, ballooning yeah, accident. Um, a vast throng, virtually tout Paris, or all of Paris, turned out for her funeral to pay homage to her skill and courage. Finally aware of the great risk of her unconventional profession, Sophie helped to open the new and exhilarating world of aviation. And did crowds stop being such assholes because they understood that if a balloon can't get off the ground, the person could die and they all need to calm the fuck down. Right. Um, The effect of... um, Norwich Duff, who had witnessed Blanchard's ascent and the accident after, recorded the effect of this was so shocking an accident on the minds of several thousand people assembled for amusement and in high spirits may easily be imagined. Um, so ne- next part is legacy. Okay, good. I need some 
uplifting news. Right. <laughs> um, ooh. On hearing that she had died, the proprietors of Tivoli Gardens, which is where she had launched from, immediately announced that the admission fees would be donated for the support of her children. And some spectators stood at the gates appealing to the citizens of Paris for donations. The appeal raised 2,400 francs, but after the collection, it was discovered that she had no surviving children. What? I don't even know if she no. ever had children because it's not, it's never mentioned. I was going to say, I didn't know kids were in the mix here. Right. So the money was used instead to erect a memorial topped with a representation of her balloon in flames above her grave at Pereire Lachaise Cemetery. Stop. I'm like... Why is that the image you pick? Stop. What? That's like if someone dies in a shooting and you erect a statue above their grave of a gun pointed right. at I them. I know. I'm like, that's, that's terrible. That's fucked up. Um, her do tomb- not do that to me. No. I'm saying this right worry, now. I'm, I am I'm not okay. I'm the leader okay. of your funeral call. You are my- make sure it doesn't happen. <laughs> oh, my God. And I am the leader of yours. Yeah. So just tell me how much like a vagina you want your headstone to be okay. headstone to be shaped in. Because I'm sick of all these phallic headstones. Right. We'll, we'll make it. We'll if make it you work. get a 20-foot obelisk, I want a 20-foot vagina. And that clit is going to be detailed. <laughs> Um, her tombst- Everyone will know where it is now. Right. Her tombstone <laughs> is engraved with the epitaph Victime de son art et de son intrepidete, or victim of her art and intrepidity, which is actually kind of sweet. That That's sweet and poetic, but at the same time, I feel like they're almost blaming her for her right. intrepidness. Like, oh, you want to, bu- to be a balloonist. Well, guess that didn't work out because you're right. dead. Um, the remainder of the money, um, about a thousand francs, was donated to the Lutheran Iglesias del Belletes, um, which Blanchard had attended. Though not rich at the time of her death, she had cleared the debts left by her husband, and it was financially secure. Each of her ascents had cost her around one thousand francs, not including Jesus. yeah, not including the cost of maintenance of the balloon. In her will, she left property worth between one thousand and fifty thousand francs to the daughter of some acquaintances. <laughs> like not even good friends just right. like these are the people i'm the closest to in the world they were really nice they gave me their card at kmart like we're besties now their Don't daughter deserves it. an education um the story of her death has been recounted throughout europe jules verne mentioned her in the five weeks in a balloon and in the gambler not Never, in, not no, in around no, the world I in know 80 who, days no. <laughs> Fyodor Daskavesi likened the thrill of committing oneself in gambling to the sensation that Sophie must have felt as she fell. For others, her death proved a cautionary tale, either as an example of women exceeding their station. Stop. Um, in fact, Grenville Mellon said, quote, a woman in a balloon is either out of her element or too high in it, end quote. Fucking stop. Or they viewed it as a price of vanity for attempting such spectacular shows. Charles Dickens commented, quote, The jug goes often to the well, but is pretty sure to get cracked at last, end quote. You know what? Dickens, I'm sure no one's made this joke. You're kind of a dick. dick. Yeah. (laughs) Um, A novel was written in 2016 inspired by Sophie's story. Um, It's called The Little Balloonist by Linda Dawn. Aww. Right. Um, Released in 2019, The Aeronauts. I don't know if that's a TV show or what, but it's called The Aeronauts. Features a character, quote, 
pilot Amelia Wren, played by Felicity Jones, who was partly inspired by Sophie. Um, how and her story is still being revived and is the subject of a forthcoming documentary, The Fantastic Flights of Sophie Blanchard, written, directed, and produced by Jen Sachs. I did look that up on IMDb and it's still in production. I want to see that. We're going to have so, a movie night. We're going to get some wine. We're going to get some we, popcorn. We're going to wait. We're gonna have to wait for them to finish it. Well, I'll fucking you know. finish it now. No. That sounds like an amazing story, though. I yeah. want to see so she was, she was a badass. I like that she's getting more recognition in recent years, though. Well, I mean, obviously, she got recognition at the time. Like, well, she was Napoleon's yeah. favorite. And then once he was gone, she was the king's favorite. Like... Like they inherited liking her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Napoleon, fuck you, but you have good taste in balloonists. Sophie, get over here. We good. We good. Yeah, come here. <laughs> right. So that's my woman. That was super cool. And I you're right. a little depressing at the end. You're right. It did get sad at the end. I'm really glad we did not cover her and uh, Kelpa Nachaula at the same, yeah, that the same episode. Especially with the flying solo wine. That would have been kind of fucked up. Yeah. Okay, so I am covering today Suruhime Ohori, self-declared God. Oh. So I made Sophie, Sophie or Sophia? Sophie. Sophie. I made Sophie a goddess. A goddess. This lady made herself a god. Okay. We I'm have a theme. We have a theme. Suruhime was born in 1526 on an undisclosed day because she is fiercely private. And also history is just all yeah. made up. <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, she could have been born in 1526 or she could have been born 10 years later or 10 years previous. No one we knows. We don't know. <laughs> Her father was the head priest of the Oyamazumi Shrine in Omishima Island in the Iyo province of Japan. So far south. The deep south, like Iowa south. <laughs> it was not even that far south. It's more east of us. I feel like that's, didn't Whining Crime have something like that where someone was like, the deep south, and then they, they mentioned, might like, have. They mentioned like somewhere in the Midwest. Honestly, <laughs> like, like we're in southeastern Minnesota. We are the deep south. We are south. the deep south. We are the deep south. Rochester, the deep south. Just tell, do you want to give everyone my home address now? No. I'm pretty <laughs> sure we've mentioned Rochester before. In Shintoism, shrines are homes to one or more deities and are places of worship and house sacred objects. Ooh. So kind of like a church or a temple yep. or any other place of worship. Suruhime acted as the Miko or shrine maiden, which is like a low level priestess. So uh, she And she worked with her father. As a Miko, Surahime's job involved general upkeep of the shrine, performing rituals, and helping her father with religious rites. She was also trained in martial arts and received her certified badass license at six years old. Okay, that's bad. I just, that I, is badass. I, I kind of made up that last part, but she's learning martial arts throughout as, her life. Throughout her life, so probably by six years old, yeah, she could I'm, kick I'm your game ass. With that. We can, we can, uh, uh. Mystery stamp of approval. Then. Even untrained six-year-olds can kick your ass. Let's be honest; those fuckers are feisty. They're quick. They're quick. Quick and small. <laughs> They're quick, small, and especially for men, they are at crotch level. Just no more kids for you. <laughs> so, I mean, if your kid's that much of an asshole, you probably 
shouldn't have anymore anyway. <laughs> I mean, why do you think I'm an only child? <laughs> During this time, a guy named Aochi Yoshitaka, the daimo of the Sioux province, was gaining power and extending his reach in a ci- in a civil, not at all violent way. No. Jerk off hand motion. Just kidding. He started invading the shit yeah. out of everyone. He murdered he murdered the peoples. Yeah. And this was kind of par for the course. You get some power and you're like, so I'm going to own you and what? I'm going to own you. Is this kind of feudal Japan still? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then, yeah, that's definitely what used to happen. When the fighting came to Tsuruhime's doorstep, her two elder brothers were killed on the mainland in an effort to defend their home. So she's on an island with the shrine, and they went over to the mainland to try to stop his advances, yep. and they got killed, and that sucked. Then, thanks to the rule of threes, her sickly father died. <laughs> wow. So at 15 or 16 years old, Tsuruhime became the chief priestess of the shrine, and her first act of duty was to channel her fury and kick ass. As Ochi's forces grew closer, Tsuruhime gathered an army. So, how did a teenage girl convince an army to fight for her? I know you're asking. Well, that's easy when you declare yourself a living god. Why didn't I ever think of that? Right? Client, an army. you're not happy with this? Well, I am god. <laughs> So you Screw better be you. happy with this. It's this a lesson. Divine. <laughs> it's a lesson. Help those who help themselves. Some other bullshit. I'm a god. Shut up. You see, her shrine was dedicated to the god Mishima Myojin, and Tsuruhime said that she was the god's living avatar, which makes sense. I mean, she's the head priest. She's working at the shrine her whole life. Right? A lot of people believe that anyways of the head, head priests of shrines and stuff. And she, she's she been described as like Japan's Joan of Arc. And I, I those kinds of comparisons serve their purpose because they immediately give you an idea of who the person is. But I don't like the idea of like, oh, you're not your own person. Right. You're just Japan's version of this other more famous western centralized person exactly but i don't think she was making up i think she's like you know there's this like she was probably hearing voices of gods and this and that so or maybe she was making it up which is kind of more badass like never know i have this idea hear me out (laughs) So when Aochi tried to raid the island in 1541, Tsuruhime led her army into battle and drove Aochi. I keep wanting to call him Aochi. Yep. <laughs> His name is spelled O-U-C-H-I. Uh, so she drove Aochi and his army back out to sea. Nice. Aochi would not accept defeat. And four months later, he and his army returned. One of Aochi's generals, Ohara Takakoto, was parting it up on his flagship. So, like, they're back. They're going to invade. They're just kind of chilling in the ocean, parting it up, because they're like, we're going to fuck this island up. Right. It's going to be epic. Tsuruhime broke out her trusty pair of claw gauntlets and scaled the side of the flagship. When she boarded, she challenged the general to combat. My name is Tsuruhime Ohori. You killed my brothers. Prepare to die. <laughs> Paraphrasing. No, no, that's 
That is exactly what she said. Herstory headcanon, she wrote The Princess Bride. Right. <laughs> it was that in, line. It was in one of her journals, and then they made everyone white, and it was kind of a bummer. <laughs> the general laughed in her face and called her a whore. Well, yeah, because she's still, what, 15, 16 at this point? Yeah. But also, that's just what you call women you don't like. Yeah. You call them whores. Suterhime proceeded to. <laughs> we, we are sitting here in the dark right now because. Well, not anymore. It Emily got made me dark. turn the light on. It got dark, and then I said, let there be light, and Kelly turned on the light, and now my eyes are trying to readjust to read my notes. We live in a cave. We live in a cave. So he may proceeded to murder the shit out of him in front of all of his bros. The ultimate dishonor. For him. For him. It's okay, though, because they didn't live long enough to tell about their leader's shame. Suruhime began throwing grenades at the men. Uh, Suruhime began throwing grenades at the men on the ship while grenades from her army ships who were lying in wait nearby rained down on the rest of the enemy fleet. So everyone's just kind of lying in wait and she lights it up and everyone's like, let's do this. Party's on. The real party. The real party. And I love that. So she's got her claw gauntlets. And she must have like a belt of grenades or and something. And she's got a fuck, fuck ton of grenades like strapped to her. She's like, either I'm coming out of here alive or no one's coming out of right? here alive. <laughs> like, it's like, we're all going down together or you're going down. So naturally, Ochi's fleet retreated. Suruhime successfully defended her home for two more years. She got engaged and generally was a boss. Unfortunately, as the legend goes, Suruhime's fiancé was killed in battle with Oichi's forces. Unable to cope with the grief, Suruhime completed ritual suicide by drowning herself when she was 18 years old. Her last words were, As Mishima's ocean, as my witness, my love shall be engraved with my name. I'm sorry. She went through so much shit to kill herself over someone. Okay. We will get into that because I read that and I'm like, no, 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 no. I do not like this. I do not agree with this. So what happened to Ochi and his forces? Long story short, he was defeated in 1543 after his attempted siege of Tota Castle failed in a crazy 180 day event. Um, go look it up if you want to. Or, whoa. What happened to Ochi and his forces? Long story short, he was left defeated in 1543 after his attempted siege of Tota Castle failed. And in a crazy 180, he switched focus onto foreign trade and the arts. And just kind of like built up his hometown. So he completely flipped off his he warlord was, he switch. Was like, well, I guess if I can't win... I'm just gonna support the arts and trade. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I mean, you could weird. do worse things, but that was that wasn't long after Suruhime's alleged death. So I'm like, really, dude? Being beat by a teenage girl didn't tell you that maybe your focus is better served elsewhere. <laughs> so, legacy or lady C? No. No, legacy. Legacy. <laughs> Surihime's young death may be romanticized as there's no record of her actual death. 
It's not uncommon for the stories of women warriors in Japan to end with their ritual suicide over a dude. So take all of that with a grain of salt, which I take that with a bucket of salt. I am the Morton salt girl, and I say no. Like, you know those giant bags that you buy at like Costco to fill your uh, water softener? We're that. Or in Minnesota winters when yeah. your driveway is yeah. covered in ice and it takes your three sidewalk. bags to get out of. <laughs> also, there's no mention of her before the publication of a 1968 novel. So it's kind of like uh, the first lady I covered, uh, Sybil Ludington. Yeah. They're like, well, she wasn't really mentioned until later. Yeah. So. Nevertheless, she is remembered through epic poetry, folklore, art, and it's said that her spirit still protects the island of Omishima, uh, the Oyazumi Shrine, which is still there, and that shrine is said to house Tsuruhime's armor. Hmm. So, her street street headcanon, she's fucking real. I will die on that hill. Her street stamp of approval. Stamp of approval. So that is the story of Tsuruhime Ohori. That was beautiful. Yeah. I was excited to do another, like, Japanese warrior lady. And actually, I found... I just went somewhere, like, completely random. I'm like, this lady sounds cool. I would have never thought to look up, like, a balloonist. Like, that's so far off my radar. the flat-bottom paper bag. Yes! The Tinkerbell of paper bags! Right. I, I found someone else because of that one that is, like, known as, like, the female, um... God, who was that guy that invented a bunch of shit? The female Tesla? No, the other one. Uh, Edison? Yeah. <laughs> Who stole all of his fucking From ideas. Tesla, basically. Yeah, fuck him. And then he like fucked over Tesla by being like, Tesla's shit's gonna kill everybody. My shit's so much better. Yeah, Edison. Anyways. Edison's the one that murdered Topsy the elephant. Yeah, because he was trying to prove that Tesla's oh, yeah. DC Tesla stuff current was, was more deadly. dangerous than his AC and he, current. Like, I don't know. Turned it up really high to prove it. Yeah, on he an was. Elephant, and it was really sad. He killed a bunch of animals. Fuck him. And actually, whatever current we went with, which was Edison's, is more dangerous. Yes. Anyway, we are idiots. I have a little. Stop. I have a sticker in my office that says. Oh fuck! What does it say? Like Edison was a fraud, and then in really small letters on the bottom it says "paid for by the friends of Nikola Tesla." <laughs> I like, like that. Yep. Anyways, we're way off topic. Hey, it's all about her history. In her Their story. story. <laughs> Their story. <laughs> so, Kelly, what are you thankful for this week? I'm thankful for you and putting up with my shit as I've kind of had a terrible week and getting me out of my house tonight and. Yeah, so I'm thankful for you. I love you. Yeah, love we you we had plans to uh, do something different, and for a lot of reasons, it was like, oh, that's probably not a good idea. I'm like, okay, well, let's go on a walk then. Let's go like, to let's the woods just do something. and walk, and we'll play some Pokemans, and we'll, and talk, we'll and catch them know. all, and we'll we'll get beat real bad by Deoxys. <laughs> Fuck that, dude. We're like halfway through. <laughs> I know it was so hard. We ran out of time. <laughs> Um, what are you thankful for? I've had kind of a rough week and I'm having a hard time thinking of things to be thankful for other than you, my darling. Aww. I'm always thankful We're for just you. Being so sappy tonight. But um I'm thankful for my dad. So last weekend I actually uh volunteered with him for this event 
at a at a park that I'm a huge fan of. And it's this big fall festival. And there's like I was working at a snack stand. And I volunteered with him in years past. And it's always an absolute blast. And so dad are so cute. I love my dad. (laughs) But we got to work like the front together. And like, there's tons of kids. So my inner teacher was coming out. And there was a little girl dressed up as Rapunzel, like in the dress. And so I was like, Oh, my god. God, I didn't know Rapunzel was going to be here today. I am not prepared. What can I get you, your majesty? And then her older sister had like a little uh lightning bolt painted on her forehead because they had face painting. And I was yeah. like, and are you Harry Potter? OMG. I was, I am You're not adorable. dressed for this. And it was, it was so much fun because I love working with kids. I do miss it, but like the bureaucracy and the poor pay because we do not pay our early childcare providers. We don't really pay anything. Most of the people that take care of our children. Teachers get paid shit. Early care providers get paid like half of the shit like nothing like you cannot live on being a preschool teacher which is sad because i probably would still be doing it i miss it but it was it was a ton of fun i got to bond with my dad and we got to pal around and so having that time with him is really nice especially because i had that horrible panic about oh my god my dad's getting older oh my god did he fall because if you listen to i don't know our last episode two episodes yeah. ago he we had oral surgery that, yeah. and half of his face looked like he'd gotten the shit beat out of oh, him trust me i i feel that way about my dad all yeah i'm like when my mom like when my mom unexpectedly calls me i'm like worried that it's gonna because that's happened before where my yes. mom unexpectedly calls me and i'm like what's up and she's like your dad's in the hospital and i'm like how is this so casual i i've gotten those calls and so too. like she called me last night like out of the blue and i'm like well i didn't even say hi i answered the phone and went what's wrong luckily she just had a question about how to do something on groupon <laughs> well because she wanted to make sure that she i was seeing the same thing she was because she yeah. was like apparently we don't get to pick because we're going to trans-siberian orchestra oh And she was like, I get to pick our section, but I can't seem to pick our seats. Will you just double check that you can't pick seats too? Right. And I'm like, no, I can't. So. So (laughs) my mom always stresses me out when she calls because she always sounds like she's in panic. I inherited my anxiety from her. So I can't be too mad. But she always goes, um, Em, it's mom. And I'm like. What, what's died. next yeah. and she goes um i just want to let you know i've got some cookies here for you and i uh i just want to let you know you can pick them up anytime like she always sounds like she's on the brink oh, of telling me mother. someone fucking died and then she's when my break down crying and then when my uncle actually died just this last month we weren't close so i'm not like it's sad but you're okay i'm okay but it was so casual. She goes, so, I don't know if you heard, so-and-so died. Oh, crap, what? Like, Because you were super chill about it. Well, because we were already in the middle of a conversation, so she got through her introduction where she so sounds funny. like she's telling me someone died. And I just, I cannot handle it. <laughs> Maybe she's desensitizing me, so then it's really a surprise when she gives me bad news. <laughs> that would suck. <laughs> anyway... Thank you so much for listening. We're so happy to have you here today. Uh, please hit us up on Facebook, Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. You're uh, an expert now. I am. I used to screw that up all the time. Um, we also have... Uh, 
We also have a website, which is whiningaboutherstory.com, or you can email us at whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We want to hear your suggestions. We want to hear about your say their names. I gave my friend a shout out because she went through a really tough time and fucking killed it. Right? And that's what say their name is about. You said it wasn't, but I think it is. No, it. I feel bad because it was my personal thing. Your personal thing, listener, is totally fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Did I tell you my boyfriend, every time I say it's fine, he says it like, it's fine. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I started I something. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we want to hear from you. So like us, follow us, rate us five stars wherever you listen. It really helps us out. Doesn't cost you a thing. And you can feel all warm and fuzzy inside because empowered women empower women and empowered men and empowered, empowered non-binary people. People empower other people. Yes. Empowerment empowers empowerment. Plus, you know, we, we need validation, so. We need it so bad. so bad. I am fighting with the permit office. I need to know I'm not garbage. <laughs> Anyways. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.